If you consider yourself a disruptor or an aspiring disruptor, you need to check out the Disruptors Leadership Academy, which starts on August 13th, that was created by yours truly and my badass colleague, DEI consultant, Abiola Bala. This 12-session online program is for leaders, professionals, and those committed to interrupting oppressive systems in their work and care to learn, unlearn, and relearn what it means to disrupt and dismantle beyond performative actions, explore sustainable methods that maximize impact and minimize burnout, and uplift their self-care in a manner that will support their labor and healing. We created the Disruptors Leadership Academy because we know how lonely and how deep the burnout can be. And yet this work in a sustainable way is necessary in the workplace. Whether you are an employee in an organization or are self-employed, the Disruptors Leadership Academy is here to hold you and guide you through. Get the program information and apply at https colon slash slash bit dot slash dla You're listening to The Humaning Podcast with real conversations as we call bullshit on everything capitalism, the patriarchy, and white supremacy culture has duped us into believing about self-care, mental health, fitness, wellness, and all things life. I am Steph Galante, and I created this show to support badass people doing solidarity work in pursuit of disrupting these systems in their lives and communities. Together, we'll discuss how systems of oppression are keeping us unwell and disconnected from ourselves and each other, and how to best support you in creating more aligned self-care practices that will help you human more easily. It's the shit we need to talk about. Hey, friend. I'm so glad you're here. How is life landing for you today? I've been feeling some big energy lately, um, both in like a little bit of a higher energy, a little bit more fiery. Um, And this is no wonder with the start of Leo season upon us. And especially it's no surprise since um, in my astrology, my rising sign is in Leo. And so... I've also been feeling lots of crisper clarity, some new ideas, and also some big feelings about a lot of things. So just in case you've been feeling off or big stuff, whether it's exciting or hard, remember to offer offer yourself some grace and some compassion and Maybe lean into the sweetness of summer a little bit and allow yourself some leisure as you open space for all of this to unravel, not in a bad way, but like kind of reveal itself to you. And, you know, that practice of space and blank space is just so important. So I hope you'll lean into that if you're if you're resourced to do so, Um, even if it's just a little bit here and there. Now, this week, the shit that we need to talk about is the need for deconstructing and reimagining your relationship with yoga asana. And we'll also hit on guidance for keeping cool through asana as well. So basically talking about shifts for your summer practice. Now, as you may know, yoga at its roots is a way of life that centers self-awareness and deep connection with community and nature, even though in the West, 
it's been appropriated and watered down to a type of exercise to essentially get more flexible. The ancient culture of yoga, the philosophy and the practice of yoga, you know, lifestyle practices, all of the things are directly a disruption of white supremacy culture and Western individualism. Now, if you've been around the show for a few months, you might recall episode 23 called Western Whitewashed Appropriated Yoga Isn't It. Let's get back to yoga's roots. And in that episode, I shared issues with yoga here in the West, discussed how it's been appropriated, and then I shared the basics on yoga's rich education and offered guidance through its eight-limbed philosophy, one of which is the physical practice of yoga called asana, which is so prevalent in terms of the definition we use here in the West. And it's this eight-limbed philosophy and the education that helps us to enhance our relationship with ourself and everything around us, including humans and nature and all things. Today, we are going to take this conversation a step further. So this month, um, in the month of, what month are we in? July? (laughs) In my mentorship group, the Holistic Self-Care Collective, I challenged my clients to do exactly what we're talking about today, to deconstruct and reimagine their relationship with asana. And I offered them these three prompts that I'm going to offer to you now. So I asked them, what is your relationship with asana? Is it very much in alignment with what we know of yoga here in the West, right? Surface level, commercialized, you know, rolling out the yoga mat, wearing your, um, you know, yoga leggings, a tank top perhaps, doing some sun salutations, warrior two, warrior one, you know, maybe moving quickly, maybe holding for a long period of time. Um, You know, high vibe (laughs) is a big Western yoga thing. (laughs) You know, it, it, it may be a class in acrobatics. I mean, there's just so much, so much. And here's the thing. There are many lineages of yoga and each of these lineages takes the asana practice into like a little bit of a different journey. Some of them aren't asana based at all. Some of them are more devotional based, uh, more of practices you know, they center the internal practices, the still practices versus the asana. And there is also quite a big difference between the asana practice and many of these lineages. You know, you've got um, Bikram or hot yoga. You've got, um, you know, all, all kinds. I don't need to sit here and name them all for you. But here's the thing. What I feel is though the the piece, because asana is a piece of yoga, right? It is. Whether you know all eight limbs, even if asana was the way you were introduced to yoga, if you um, you know grew up here in the West, especially here in the United States, there's nothing wrong with doing a physical practice. There's nothing wrong with coming to the physical practice and wanting to get more flexible or wanting to get stronger. None of these things are wrong. But the problem is 
when that's all it is. Because the reality is there are many modalities, exercise modalities out there that can get you stronger, that can get you more flexible. But yoga at its roots is a practice of self-awareness. It is a practice to be aware in the moment, to align deeply with yourself, to also call yourself out on your bullshit. It's so rich and so expansive and so much more than simply stretching, strengthening, twisting, inverting. That's just a piece of it, right? So what is your relationship with asana? Is, is it your flexibility practice? Is it something that you go to, to, um, I don't know, I don't know what. What is your relationship with it? Only you can answer that, right? And the thing of it is, even my clients, some of my clients, they came to asana for a way to get more flexible, for mobility, for strength, of course. And it's been, you know, through education of understanding what truly yoga is, that now the understanding is different and the relationship starts to change. And so I offered them the mindset shift. What if asana is not just as a method of getting more flexible or stronger, but as a way for you to connect to yourself more deeply, to come back to yourself, a way for you to live the yamas and niyamas in action, right? Those ethical practices to ourselves and to one another. What if it's a way for you to connect to your breath, to your intention, your sankalpa, your community, your nature, right? The earth. What if it's a way to honor your needs and maintain or restore balance mentally, emotionally, physically, and energetically? I know that's like so deep, right? So rich. And the way we live our lives here in the West just isn't that way, right? We're hustling, bustling, go, 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 very surface. Ignoring, pushing away, like, right? For most of our day, not all of it. You know, there may be a devotional practice in the morning or in the evening, you know, um, religious practices even. Maybe there's a lot, but that doesn't mean that it's happening in this way, right? So this may be new to you. So no judgment ever. And since this month is July, I also offered this third consideration because I offered this to them at the beginning of the month. And I said, you know, when it comes to the 4th of July and the celebration of freedom, how does yoga, as in all of yoga, because we've been studying the eight limbs since last year, how does all of yoga fit into this? You know, if yoga is a practice of liberation for yourself and for others, How can yoga and all the ways you live yoga support you in liberating yourself so you can uplift others with identities more marginalized than your own and challenge and change the system? And to take this even further, I'm wondering, where are the barriers to your liberation? Where are there barriers to your liberation in asana? Do you have strict expectations or standards for yourself or for the practice that end up limiting your liberation? And that might be, you know, 
Do you always include fast-paced movement? Do you skip Shavasana? Do you ever practice restorative or usually not so much? You know, does your asana practice typically stay the same season to season? Perhaps this is in the name of consistency or discipline. And then I'm wondering, what does your asana practice have the potential to be? Can you reimagine a more free, a more compassionate, a more connected, a more aligned way for your asana practice? And you may not have the answers right now. And as always, I may be like, you know, kind of offering some thoughts you've never thought of before. So you need time to sit with it. And that's fine. These questions aren't going anywhere. They're time sensitive in that, you know, these are things that, you know, if you're a disruptor, if you're wanting ease in your life, if you're wanting to live a life that is just not a part of this hustle and bustle culture, you know, then you're going to have to spend time with these hard questions. But there's no deadline in terms of when you've got to do that by. So take your time. Now, since I've st- I started studying Ayurveda in, a, I think, 2019, and since then, I've noticed that most asana practices, including the ones I was taught, the ones um, I learned along the way, the ones I was teaching, are missing two very essential pieces. One is a consideration for how you're feeling in the moment and using the practice to help you achieve or move towards harmony or in the very least honor and or make space for how you're feeling. And number two, adjust the practice based on your capacity and bandwidth as well as the characteristics of the season and how they and life are landing within you in the moment. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to be very clear. There are some amazing teachers out there offering deeply beautiful and spiritual practices. They often have a heartfelt or inspiring theme that is woven throughout the well-thought-out sequence that leads up to an intentional peak pose and takes you from there very, very, very lovingly through um, uh, the back end of the practice that will lead you into, you know, usually a Shavasana practice. All of these things are great. And there's no judgment of the practice you do on your own or in class or that you teach if you're a teacher, right? And, And your practice misses these things. Unfortunately, although Ayurveda is a sibling science of yoga, it's not included in many yoga teacher trainings, at least not here in the United States. There are also amazing teachers offering trauma-sensitive or trauma-informed practices, which yoga at its root inherently is. And that centers compassion and a deep connection to yourself that brings you back to your agency, which is a feeling of being tuned in or even in charge or in control of oneself. But unfortunately, this is not the norm here in the West due to the appropriation of yoga into purely a physical practice that is often just challenging, right? And all the things that I talked about earlier. And sometimes in these very Western appropriated classes, they don't make space or honor how you're feeling because especially, you know, in the, in the places where yoga has been very commercialized, what's encouraged is leaving your feelings at the door. So detach yourself from them. 
which can be really hard and also harmful to do. And sometimes we have to do it, right? But we need to normalize that our emotions are with us. And so, yes, sometimes we do need to put them aside. But often we need to be able to just be able to create space and build up our tolerance for the discomfort of being with them without letting them take over, right? Unless they have to, unless that's what they need. And so I want to be very clear that I am not saying I am the best teacher. I know everything. That is not the case. What I am calling out is the appropriation of yoga here in the West and the ways in which we need to do things better to really get yoga back to to its roots and also fill in these missing pieces. So despite the awesome and well-educated teachers offering trauma-informed practices, right, as I said earlier, you know, that one of the missing links is a consideration for how you're feeling in the moment in terms of the type of energy you're feeling, especially with consideration to bandwidth and capacity and using the practice to help you either maintain the energy you're feeling if it's imbalanced or achieve or move towards harmony if you are experiencing I am imbalance. So in case this is your first episode of humaning the shit we need to talk about podcast. Welcome, by the way. And in case you're also not familiar with Ayurveda, this is a science of longevity and ancestral wisdom of life and spiritual medicine that centers you and your connection with yourself, nature, and community. It's a science and practice whose foundation is energy based on five elements of nature and the three energies that these elements come together to create, which are present. These energies, as are the elements, are present around us and within us, and the energies govern all of our bodily systems and characteristics. I've got more to say on this. Um, (laughs) And so you can head back to episode 25 um, to go through kind of that Ayurveda 101 section that I offer with basic information. Because here's the thing, we are energetic beings. We have a natural energetic dominance, meaning one type of energy is naturally more saturated. And the energy that is dominant also can shift throughout the day based on nature and how life is unfolding for us. Um, And so generally speaking, Vata dominant people, these are people whose dominant energy comes from the air and ether elements. Their personality tends towards creative and flexible, easily worried sometimes, maybe even a tendency towards prolonged anxiousness. They typically feel cold or cool, may have an affinity for light, dry, country, crunchy foods like crackers and salad and raw veggies. And when ill, they may suffer more from stomach issues or headaches. Now, generally speaking, pitta dominant people, those whose dominant energy comes from fire and water, their personality tends towards passionate, ambitious, competitive, the type A personality. CEOs and people in top leadership leadership positions tend to be pitta dominant. It also, they could also be more easily angered and have less patience. They typically run hot, may have an affinity for spicy food, and when ill, they may suffer more from fevers. And generally speaking, kapha-dominant people, those whose dominant energy comes from water and earth, their personality tends towards easygoing and calm and patient, loyal, possibly resistant to change, sometimes unmotivated, also easily saddened or feeling lethargic. They love to be under the blankets, may have an affinity for rich and heavy food, 
foods overall when it comes to health, kapha-dominant people typically don't get sick very often. They're very sturdy. However, when ill, they may suffer more from colds with mucus. Now, Ayurveda wisdom teaches us that like increases like and opposites balance. And what that means is we're going to have a natural affinity towards what feels good to us and doing it as much as possible. But there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. So we have to make sure that we're consistently also bringing in opposing energy to keep us balanced. So for Vata dominant folks, those people, again, who who um, naturally are creative and flexible, um, both in their body, but also in like just um, their plans and their day. Um, and also may tend towards anxiousness. They must include practices that are grounding, stabilizing, and warming. For pitta dominant folks, those are the folks who are the go-getters and the passionate ones. Um, maybe even critical or easily angered and patient. Um, they must include practices that are cooling, playful, and leisurely. And for kapha dominant folks, those who are, are steady, calm, people who like to keep things status quo, it's important to offer practices that are warming, uplifting, mobile, and even spontaneous. So now when it comes to our asana practice, it's important to be aware of what energy, you know, what, what your dominant energy is. And if you don't know, come work with me within the Holistic Self-Care Collective. And also, besides that, notice what energy is present for you. And if there is an imbalance, like you are not balanced, right, then you can adjust for that on the mat. And there are multiple ways that you can do that. You could do that through the sequencing, as in the poses you choose to do and the peak pose you choose to do. So for instance, if you are feeling anxious, that might not be the day to go into deep backbends because deep backbends are heart opening. It's a very vulnerable thing. And also you might limit, you know, um, how quickly you move. Um, so the speed of your practice is going to be important. So if you're feeling anxious, maybe you're moving more slowly. Maybe you are using the wall behind you or you are seated on the ground more. Maybe you are doing more forward folds. Another way that you can, in addition to the sequencing and the poses you choose and the peak pose you choose and, the sp and then the speed of your practice as the second one, a third one is how deeply you go into poses and how long you hold poses for, including Shavasana. So, you know, you might, if you're feeling anxious, but it's a day where your teacher is including a lot of backbends in class, maybe you're not going in deeply. Maybe you go to your edge, but then you come out and you don't stay there quite as long, right? And maybe instead you spend more time in your forward folds or your more grounding poses, it's just, you know, an in, in, um, example. Also, arm placement. Once the arms start to come away from the body to the side or overhead, it's going to begin to lift energy and also lift, feel more intense and also um, feel more uplifting. Um, and so if you're in need of grounding, you might have your arms lower towards the ground or touching your body breath, right? The way that we allow the breath to come into the practice, the breathing, the way we manipulate the breathing can also be helpful. And the sixth thing is 
your intention or your mantra or your visualization. These are all ways that we can offer balance in our practice um, to honor how we're feeling. So if you need grounding, you might imagine a place where you are safe and you are stable, right? You might choose a grounding um, phrase or word um, Yes, something that just allows you to feel a little bit more stable. I always talk about anxiousness and worry and feeling ungrounded because that's my typical place of being. Um, And so, I mean, the same thing goes for, you know, you could just apply the same rules for, um, you know, if you're feeling hot and fiery versus um, calm or, you know, even deeper than that, like lethargic, unmotivated. So these are all the things that I talk to, all six of these um, places, ways of, of adjusting for our energy are things that I, I talk to in our aligned yoga practice weekly. Um, so that way, if one person's feeling anxious and another person's feeling lethargic and another person is feeling pretty grounded, they have options for meeting themselves to maintain and or balance the energy while in the same exact class in the same exact practice. And so it's weird for people at first because they're used to being in a class where they're told do this like this, right? They're not, they're, um, their practice is not brought back to them, to their agency, to their autonomy. And that's something I do in the practice because that's what, it, that's what yoga is meant for us to experience, Right. In addition to our own personal energy, right? And again, we always think in the West, dominant culture tells us energy is like high or low, but I'm talking about like the type of energy, right? Are you feeling, how are you feeling um, in terms of groundedness, in terms of um, worry or doubt or fear, in terms of anger, in terms of playfulness, in terms of steadiness or lethargic or lethargic, I should say. Um, in addition to all of that, it's also important to adjust your practice based on the characteristics of the season, right? And of course, with consideration to how those characteristics and then life are landing within you, um, which is connecting back to that last part of our conversation. Now, each season has one energy that is more dominant the other than the others. Sometimes there are two energies that are more dominant than the other. Like in the summertime, this is a Pitta dominant time, but also subtle vata energy. Um, you know, pitta energy in the summer is giving us heat, fire, light, intense energy. And then the subtle vata energy is giving us expansive and mobile vibes. That makes things really interesting because they feed off of one another for sure. Now, for people who are pitta and vata dominant, they'll thrive in the summertime. Right? They're going to enjoy it and you should enjoy it. You... If you are pitta dominant or vata dominant, you may find that your go, go, go speed is at the max and you're taking advantage of daylight and the space to do things, but also remembering that you're going to come out of balance really easily. You may have already seen that now since we're at the end of July. Remembering that considering Ayurveda's teaching of like increases like and opposites balance, I cannot say enough for pausing and slowing down throughout the day and also in your asana practice so that you don't exhaust or overheat yourself. Grounding, relaxing, engaging in rest practices will be essential. Kapha dominant people, on the other hand, can benefit from leaning into summer's heat intensity and Vata's mobile nature. But, you know, go slowly because you don't want to overwhelm yourself or get discouraged, right? Now, remembering that in the summer, 
when we're talking about keeping pitta balanced, we're talking about keeping cool through our self-care practices. We are talking about being mellow overall and mentally. And we're also talking about remaining grounded, stable, and well-resourced. And the most important practice here, though, is a mindful awareness. (coughs) Excuse me of early signs of imbalance, meaning when you're not balanced any longer. And we're considering, you know, the vibe of maintenance and sustaining, preserving, slow and steady wins the race because we want you to be in ease in the moment as well as throughout the season and be resourced going into and steady going into the variable fall season as well as to avoid or lessen the end of the year burnout. Now, remember, I know, depending on if you are pitta dominant or not, you might be like, no, stuff. Like, I just, I can't. Leisure what? You're right. You might feel like you have to earn the leisure. Um, it may be uncomfortable for you to be leisurely. Um, but remember the um, niyama, the fifth niyama, isvara pranadana, which translates to surrendering to a higher power or to higher self for support. And so this is where the practice comes into what are we letting our letting dominate our decisions? Is it dominant culture or is it what we know we need? Right? Because dominant culture naturally is going to feed into that pitta energy of go, 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 succeed at all costs. And that vata energy of go, go, go. <laughs> Do all the things. Um, you know, so to honor your highest self, your higher power is a huge divestment from, you know, dominant culture. And it's hard, right, to divest from that go-go-go discipline, success at all costs mentality. That's hard, but it's necessary. So when it comes to our asana practice, I'm going to offer some guidance today on how to shift the practice to keep cool, mellow, grounded, and well-resourced. And remembering that if this is a new concept to you, meet yourself there with compassion and grace and move slowly through it. So I encourage you maybe to take one or two of these small shifts to begin with and implement them. Get used to it rather than making a complete overhaul. So the focus of the summer practice is going to be in terms of energy, pitta and vata vata balancing and kapha uplifting. In terms of um, the heart and emotional focus, it's going to be compassion and acceptance. The mental focus is releasing anger, perfection, criticism, frustration, and intensity. And the physical focus is relaxed effort and playfulness. Now, when it comes to pranayama, I know we're talking about asana, but I can't talk about asana without talking about pranayama meditation. So for pranayama, remember that shitali or cooling breath or shitkari, which is hissing breath, these two are very um, beneficial for cooling um, in the summer, as is um, chandra bedana, um, the left nostril breathing. If you are familiar with nadi shodana, then the alternate nostril, then all this is, is breathing through the left nostril in and out, or you can bring in the right nostril as well. Um, And always full torso, especially three-part breathing for balancing vata, grounding, you know, the belly breathing. Um, Pitta balancing is going to be that spacious rib cage breathing and kapha balancing will be uplifting into the torso. Um, you know, that's always good all year round. Now, when it comes to asana, for our general guidelines, we want to release heat from the solar plexus. That's, you know, that bone just below um, the heart space and the breasts. 
Now, we do this with plenty of twists and side body openers, heart openers, and postures that strengthen, massage, and ring out our abdominal muscles. So here are some keys for asana during the summertime. Allow your practice to be at a relaxed effort and moderate pace, about 50 to 70% of maximal effort. Move gently, fluidly, and gracefully. Keep your gaze soft, breathe steadily, focus on your exhalation, use it to let go of anger, criticism, etc. Be aware of your breath in the back of your body. You want to find expansion throughout the summertime. You want to lean into expansion and that's where we need to do it. Um, Enjoy movement in your poses unless you need grounding. Notice the position of your ribs. Draw them back into your body. That's going to ground you and um, offer you stability. Remind yourself that less is more. With pitta, (laughs) more is always more, but we got to balance with less is more. Allow creativity, freedom, and fun. So my pitta dominant friends, or if you are feeling pitta real strong right now, here are some guidance or guidelines especially for you. Soften your gaze downward at the horizon, or even practice with your eyes closed. Change up your practice. Avoid sticking to one style or one series of poses. Practice in a moderately cool space. You don't want to get cold, right? But you want to avoid that extremely extreme heat. Focus on the yoga experience in your body, not your brain. Avoid being judgmental and critical of yourself. Make sure you have plenty of sp- of um space to practice in. Have fun. Don't take yourself or your pose too seriously. Remind yourself that this is not a competition and use the exhalation to let go and release any built up anger, frustration, and stress. Now, when it comes to um, the summer practice, I always offer the moon salutation practice because it is cooling compared to the sun salutation. And there are two versions of it. um, And I love them both. And so this is how I keep things kind of change it up um, each week. And also what I do is if we are doing the lateral facing um, sun salutation that has more uh, victory squat and side bends and triangle then what I'll do is have more of a linear facing warm up. And then if we are doing the linear facing, um, forward facing moon citation, that's more high lunge and downward facing dog, um, child's pose, then I do a more like hip opening and side bending and twisting warm up um, just to allow for those muscles to get used, which will be supportive even into the practice. And so you can play in different ways and you can offer different things. I might, if I don't offer the opposing, you know, um, movements in the warm up, I might use that later on in the practice. So at least we're coming into some postures and some um, positioning of the body that we didn't do in our active, more active part of the practice. And so here are some pits of pacifying poses cat and cow, child's pose, um, mountain, standing forward fold, chair, revolve chair, extended side angle, revolve side angle, cobra, locust, half boat. Leg lifts, bicycles, windshield wipers, also bridge, seated forward fold, child's pose, and savasana. Now, again, pay attention to your energy. Adjust accordingly, right? Kapha dominant days. Use the pitta and vata energy for an invigorating practice to promote clarity and uplifting energy. On vata dominant days, grounded in slow practice or less intense. 
pitta dominant days, a lighthearted asana, moderate intensity, doesn't push your limits. And when it comes to meditation, you want to focus on watering, nourishing, nurturing, expanding, transforming, 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 transmuting, transmuting, which is change in form and nature or substance completely, like not in returning to the original form, whereas transform is making a thorough or dramatic change in form, appearance, or character, but still maybe connected to the original way. And a note on growth, right? Because our meditation for the summer also focuses on growth and reaping. Remember that growth doesn't always mean doing or being more. It could also be learning to tune into and honor your highest self. I know, friends. Friends, remember, if you need any support with this, please meet me in the Holistic Self-Care Collective um, so we can create your personalized self-care plan and figure out exactly what you need to honor you this season and beyond. So I encourage you to consider how can you use these teachings or what comes up for you to human more easily and to support and uplift those in your community, especially those who are different from you or hold identities more marginalized than your own. How can you use it to connect more authentically and deeply to your community, to begin to move toward mass mutual reliance and away from Western culture's individualistic society? And speaking of humaning more easily, before we go, in case you typically experience Sunday scaries or a lack of boundaries between work and home life or guilt in enforcing boundaries, or maybe you need a soft space to land with all of your mess and your stuff, friend, I encourage you to join me in the Disruptors Leadership Academy. The discussions that will have the education and the practices my colleague Abiola Bala and I will be exploring in this space will offer you support in three major ways. Coming to your work of disrupting toxic culture in a confident and resourced manner so that you no longer dread Mondays or the rest of the week, or at least not as much. It'll help you in creating boundaries from a proactive rather than reactive place. Explore flexibility in maintaining and adjusting your boundaries. And also, you'll try on some mindset shifts that divest from dominant cultures, shoulds, guilt, and shame. And the third major way we'll offer you support or Disruptors Leadership Academy will offer you support is experiencing a place of care and utter realness, that soft place to land where you can be authentic, candid, and raw with as much space and time as you need as you unpack your journey thus far. Face the ways the system has you thinking you're not doing enough, not doing things right, that you have to do things a certain way, or that burnout is just part of the gig, and begin to explore methods of liberation and self-care practices that are aligned for you. In case I haven't already said it, my friend, the Disruptors Leadership Academy was born of our experiences, mine and Abiola's, as employees and business owners, because... We are your people for getting into the trenches and doing this work alongside you for the fact that we have worked in spaces that predominantly adhered to the tenets of white supremacy and the patriarchy. We've often been the only person of color on the team, and we've had to fight for every opportunity, promotion, and raise we've gotten. And battling the systems in our workplaces was exhausting. We each left our full-time jobs to fulfill a calling of making a change in a bigger way that we hope would one day ripple out to our former organizations. And to our surprise, but not surprisingly, we are on a journey of uncovering all the ways white supremacy culture, the patriarchy, and capital capitalism-based work norms are showing up in our own businesses as in like the businesses we hold we are all 
both sole business owners, including our work schedules, burnout, our tendency to bypass our needs, working as a lone wolf, and so many of the truths we hold. We each have been working hard at identifying, disrupting, and dismantling the system's stronghold because they have no place here. We created the Disruptors Leadership Academy because we know a place is desperately needed where like-minded disruptors come together to share, learn, unlearn, and care for themselves, unlearn and care for themselves in a manner that will support their labor and heal. Without someone doing this work within the workplace in a sustainable way, these oppressive systems will continue to stand. And we understand how lonely it can be, how unsure of whether your efforts are, are working or not, and how burned out you might feel disrupting on your own all the time. So whether you are an employee of an organization or self-employed and want to disrupt how the systems are showing up in your business, the Disruptors Leadership Academy is here to hold you and guide you through. We'll have uncomfortable conversations that are necessary for you to move forward, take action, and create change one step at a time. You can guarantee that each space that Abiola opens is grounded in patience, curiosity, and objectivity. And I direct you back to yourself to help you quiet the shoulds so you can shift the way you interact with life on your terms. So if you're saying, hell yes, I'm down, go ahead and drop your application at https colon slash slash bit dot lee slash dla 2023. The application deadline for the Disruptors Leadership Academy is on August 4th, and we begin on August 13th. And in case you'd like to join us but miss the window for applying for financial assistance, reach out and let us know what you need. My friend, until next time, please be kind and gentle to yourself just as you would to those who are most precious to you, whether that's a human, animal, baby, or a plant. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the support and guidance I provide in this episode. Any of the disruption, you can argue with me. So feel free to reach out and share. I really love to hear from you, and I hope you will. If you've been loving the show, please share it with your nearest and dearest and leave a review or rating. My friend, remember you are a badass and you are enough. Now go be your favorite self and be well. Humaning is a production of Steph Galante Self-Care, LLC. The show is produced by me, Steph Galante. You can find blog posts of some of the episodes on the episode page at stephgalante.com slash podcast, along with the transcript of today's episode and any other resources I shared today. If you're ready to create more aligned practices for yourself, head to stephgalante.com to learn more about creating a personalized self-care plan within the Holistic Self-Care Collective and coaching with me. You are a badass and you are enough. See you next time. Be well.